0: You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and
1: gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of the Mogfarts Podcast. This is episode number 10, and we have a whistleblower here in the studio today. Woo! <laughs> a friend who's going to remain anonymous. I've known this person, well, we've, we've known each other for damn near 20 years now. Probably 15, <sighs> 17, 18 years, something like that. Yeah. And we used to spend a lot of time hanging out together. Sadly, you went off to nursing school a couple years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. You know
1: what, in your late 30s, decided to change careers and go into nursing.
0: Yeah, that's going to give it all away.
1: And then <laughs> shortly after uh, you got your degree and got started in nursing, right? That's right when the uh, situation began. Is that correct? Yeah. So when did you start nursing? What do, First of all, what do you want your nickname to be? Because we can't reveal your name or your employer.
0: No, let's just call me her for now.
1: Her, 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 she. Oh yeah, I, I'm sorry. I did. I hopefully I didn't. <laughs> hopefully I didn't misgender you. You know, I have to say before we get going, it was so nice. I was kind of, you know, just kind of flailing around today as I tend to do sometimes. And I heard a little knock on the door of the shop, and it was you. It was such a surprise. Because well, you're, you're not around anymore as much as you used to, and nope. it's great to see you again. It's her. great to see
0: you too, Em. <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> we've, we've got a lot of rules about um, referring to people and the proper pronouns where I work. And so, where
1: do you work?
0: At a level two trauma center.
1: And in what, like a, probably, a, well I guess we'd say it's like a mid size city in the western U.S.? Yes. Yeah, population maybe, what, 60,000, something like that? Exactly. Okay, cool. Well, if you don't mind, just tell me, you know, got you teed off earlier today. And I was like, I got to get you on record saying these things. So how has your experience been with nursing so far?
0: Not what I expected. Um, <clears throat> let's just say... It's very obvious that in conventional Western medicine the focus is not actually on the patient. Yeah, you look surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a lot more politically and financially driven and um, I guess my I my hopes and dreams of of helping people through some of the hardest times in their lives, has been blown out of the water a little bit.
1: I'm sorry um, to hear that.
0: Hey, you know, it is what it is. Apparently it's just like another, it's another service industry job, just like everything else.
1: Yeah, that's so, how we met, Is when was in the service industry, without revealing too much. We used to yeah. work together closely. Yes. And I know you're a hard worker, you don't take any shit, and you're a smart person. And, you know, I think everybody that we worked with together, we could all agree that, If something was going wrong, you were quick to notice it and point it out and attempt to correct it.
0: I did that, and I still tried to do that here, except that now I'm up against a hierarchy of whether it be the levels of uh, nurses, supervisors, doctors, um, CEOs. Um, It's not as easy for me to just reach out and correct it when I see that there's something wrong, and it's very frustrating
1: because you're kind of you're not the lowest person on the totem pole in healthcare but you're probably just a few rungs up from the bottom of yeah, that ladder. Yeah. I mean, right?
0: I'm I'm just I'm clocking in and taking care of people for 12 hours and as long as those people are still alive when I leave, the next shift comes on and does the same thing.
1: And you told me earlier today that out of your 12 a typical 12-hour shift, you spend how much time doing reports on the computers?
0: Uh, about 6? At least.
1: So about half of your time is spent just data entry.
0: Data entry and not only just data entry because I know how important it is to keep a record of the care that we provide. But with the outdated software that they are requiring us to use, a multi-billion dollar corporation that can't seem to upgrade, anything, most of what I document is really, what can I call it? Just bullshit. It's just filling in the blanks. It's checking the boxes because this is what they want uh, want to see in, in the computer system. Um, a lot of it has absolutely nothing to do with my patients as individuals, with the type of care they're receiving, with the care that I'm supposed to be providing, with the interventions that we are um, putting in place, and then, of course, any responses to those interventions. And so... In the end it really it's like my boss tells me I'm supposed to do this just because it looks good and I'm checking my boxes about, you know, and satisfying my employment, but in the end I'd rather just walk up to the doctor in rounds and be able to explain what I saw with my patient over 12 hours. Yeah. Um so that's one very piece of the broken system. And the biggest other thing I'm I've been seeing is that it the, the doctors and the residents don't circle back around to adjust a patient's care plan to reflect whether or not they're actually getting better or worse. Um, they will continue on with the same drugs, the same doses, the same treatments. And even if the patient isn't getting any better, we're still pumping them full of these medicines that probably are just... Having a negative effect on their health, on their health and well being, anyways. So, I'm at a loss because I can't just not give the patient something when I know that it's going to have a negative effect. But, I mean, it'll be days or weeks before the doctors change any sort of care plan
1: with these patients. And these patients are in the hospital. They're it's mm-hmm. a, is it ICU? Are they in like an ICU unit or what?
0: No, they're in a, they're on a, a med surge, so they should theoretically be fairly stable and getting better and getting ready to transition out. But then again, I've seen people there for not only weeks on end, but months on end with no change in their care plan. Months on end. Five months. Wow. We've had people on the floor for five months.
1: And they're just pumping them full of drugs or what?
0: Oh, they get, I mean, they get drugs, they get... They don't get necessarily the attention and maybe procedures that they need in order to diagnose them and actually accurately tell them and their families what's going on. So we just let them just sit there day after day, and they get their drugs at 9 a.m. and noon and 9 p.m. And in the end, nothing happens.
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) somebody's making a bunch of money there, I'm sure
0: people are making a bunch of money. Yeah. Um,
1: how much does it cost? Do you know how much it costs to be on the, like a typical patient, how much it costs to be on the floor for five months? I do not know.
0: (laughs) I think at that point, um, I don't know if all of the, I think (laughs) most of the people that are left there for multiple weeks to months are being left there at the cost or at the expense of you and I.
1: Medicare, Medicaid, yes. whatever. Yeah.
0: So you're paying for that.
1: Well, that's good because I I know it's they're getting the best possible care imaginable. Oh yeah. I got to say they're lucky to have you there, she/her.
0: She/her. <laughs> well, I it's it's infuriating to see how many drugs the hospital, the residents, the attendings, the doctors will pump into these people. And in the end, we usually end up with these patients having more issues, and they're at a point of, say, their level of consciousness or their health is at a point that we actually have no baseline anymore. So we don't know whether we're going in the right direction, the wrong direction, what their baseline is, baseline meaning, like, what level do they normally live at and function at? Yeah. Um. And that really, I've I've seen that just get lost in the sea of seemingly haphazard care. Um, so sometimes these families come in and they're like, "Well, we we don't know what else to do because if this is the new normal, we probably should just put them on hospice." And they just put them on hospice when there just should have been something else done. Yeah. Um. And maybe if we had taken away some of the drugs and gotten to the point that we could see an actual baseline, we could prepare them for a different level of care. They might leave the hospital and go to something different, but, you know, assisted living, this or that. But there's no reason for people to just be put on hospice, meaning—
1: I was just about to ask, what's the difference between hospice and assisted living?
0: Well, assisted living, you're still taking your medicines— the hospice is classified as given six months or less to live.
1: So a- end of life care. End of life care. So was mm-hmm. it more about shooting them full of painkillers and?
0: Usually, it's a morphine drip. Wow. And... Because they've 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 stopped responding in any way that the family deems, um, I guess, um, acceptable to continue life. Uh huh they're no longer able to make medical or any sort of decision for themselves. Um, and if withdrawing their medicine that they're on now would cause them to their their health to decline to the point of not sustaining life.
1: Wow. Wow. You, have you had a lot of COVID there at your, at your facility?
0: We started out with... COVID hallways. Um, and what
1: was the standard of care throughout, throughout all of that?
0: Uh, well, I will tell you that I think there was a huge lack of education or, or failure to educate the public concerning a respiratory condition Okay. that we might or might not refer to as COVID. Because most of the people that we were taking in on our floor... That did not require any intubation or, you know, excessive. Um, what should I say? Intensive care tactics were people that could have otherwise, as with the common flu or pneumonia or respiratory, you know, uh, allergies. You, you 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 know, they could otherwise stay at home and. Recover. Yeah. We took people in that did require a higher level, like their oxygen needs were increased. Um, So, meaning they needed supplemental oxygen uh, different from what their baseline was at home. So, if they had no oxygen at home, but they required oxygen to keep their saturation at a certain level, we took those people in. But there were a lot of people that would just come to the ER and when they tested positive, even if they didn't require any oxygen demands, any increased oxygen demands, they would be shipped up to our floor, and we would take care of them in isolation for ten days. And they would sit there, and they would watch TV. They would call for sodas, and they would just basically get fed with the in a room with the door closed for ten days.
1: And that was the that was the care they received. That for was COVID. it. And most of, most of them would have been better off. Well, not necessarily better off, but. They probably would have got the same level of care at home.
0: They would have been fine at home with a bowl of chicken soup and a couch.
1: Without coming to, co- coming to the hospital with the disease commonly referred to as COVID and spreading it around the hospital, Exactly.
0: Right? It's yeah. the same with people who've come in with the flu. You know, okay, so you're here with the flu. Now you need to be in a room. We need to gown up. You need to have your door closed. And we just basically keep you there until you're not contagious anymore. So... We're pulling resources from people that are actually sick and do need blood, um, IV antibiotics, wounds changed, to go and have a hallway full of people just in isolation because they heard that they should come to the ER and get tested. And wow. if they're positive on whose books those are, with whosoever's, whoever's tests. Yeah they get to spend 10 days 10 days is not cheap in the hospital
1: no it's not
0: when they could be sitting at home bundled up in a bath with a blanket and a cup of tea
1: that's wild so in the when we hear about the healthcare system being overrun some of that was due to that yeah and a lot of people got i don't know i, I don't know I guess you could say people got tricked into that because they were led to believe we were in the midst of the greatest pandemic in human history.
0: A lot of people were sick with whatever virus this is or was, but a lot of it just like catching the flu. You don't go out and go shopping when you have the flu. You st- sit at home on the couch for a week, sit at home on the couch for a week. Yeah. please. Cause <laughs> for 20, 20 rooms out of 40 on my floor, yeah. That's a lot of rooms, a lot of gowns, a lot of resources, a lot of waste, a lot of time, a lot of soda that I'm delivering in styrofoam cups <laughs> because you're just hanging out in your room bored for 10 days
1: and paying out the ass for it.
0: And paying out the ass for it.
1: Did you have any did any of those people complain about the like about being were well, they basically put in quarantine, right? Yeah. Did they did anybody try to leave? Were they like Oh
0: no, why would they leave? I mean, we were, I waited on them hand hand in foot. What do you want? You want you want you want another soda? You want another water, more juice? What else do you want? I mean, it is almost worse than working in a tourist town in the high season.
1: Really? Yeah. You mentioned earlier today, you mentioned folks getting put on antibiotics in your in your floor and then there's no, no effort to like, well, you explain it to me. You mentioned like the probiotic thing. I thought that was telling.
0: Well, because, you know, I watch people get put on just, and we call it, it's a lot of times with older people who have been to the doctor for numerous, you know, healthcare complaints, um, and management of these things. Um, they get put on so many drugs and we call it polypharmacy. They're, they're just overrun with drugs. At this point, it's become dangerous because there's almost no way to keep straight what all these drugs are doing in someone's body, especially when they're older.
1: Like how many drugs, if someone's on polypharmacy, is that right, polypharmacy?
0: Polypharmacy.
1: Like give me an example of what they might be on and what the average number of drugs somebody's on.
0: Oh, I, I it's no question for me to walk in and in my first morning med pass to give 17 meds to one person.
1: 17 meds to one patient. Yeah. And that's just their morning meds. That's
0: just their morning meds. And then they
1: might get meds a couple other times throughout the day.
0: Oh, yeah. Three, four times a day.
1: And so what are they... Yeah. Like what's being prescribed there? What are people getting dosed up with typically? Well,
0: so you've got, you know, hospitals to cover their butts. They kind of cover the basis where, you know, they give you... You walk in, you get a, uh, a low-dose molecular heparin, um, which is a... um. A blood thinner to prevent blood clots
1: because they're just laying in bed.
0: Because they're just laying in bed. Uh huh. Um, doesn't matter about your physical therapy, your occupational therapy, or whether or not you're independent. Most of the time, if people come into the hospital, they're going to lay in that bed and they will watch TV. So the body doesn't like to be still. We need to make sure they don't end up with a blood clot. So they get a blood clot medicine, they get something to manage, a little bit of pain and fever. Um, they get something for their stomach because people's stomachs will, um, the, the risk of stomach ulcers goes up as well as being nauseous. So there's always a couple things in there. So there's four or five medicines right off the bat that you just get for coming to the hospital. You may wow. not go home on those, but you're going to be taking them while you're there. And then on top of that, we've got, I mean, you've got your hypertension. You've got your um, prostate. You've got your um heart like arrhythmia drugs you've got i mean these people now i mean especially older they might be on something like what's like a high dose like a mucinex like a cough medicine yeah like just because they have a history of pneumonia and respiratory diseases so they're on this actually twice a day every day not just when they're congested um
1: and that's something that gets prescribed to them once they check into the hospital
0: And then keep going. These are the things that they might still be on. But, I mean, you name it, people are on so many things for, obviously, like, like, health processes in the body that can be otherwise managed through education and prevention. And that's the sad part, is that a lot of these people rely on these medicines at this point because... A lot of people aren't ever willing to make a, a change. Yeah. So that's just, I mean, that that that's a rabbit hole down, kind of the the state of the health of the Western civilization. <laughs> right? um, so, but I'm just saying, and you like,
1: get to change there depends.
0: <clears throat>
1: yeah, I you know I have experience. I, you know, I was a nurse's assistant for a while, don't you? Yeah. In a nursing home back in college, so I have a little, you know, and I can relate. I remember. You get the, you know, back then we had the little, they had the little like Dixie cups full of their pills. Mm -hmm. Most of these guys weren't on too many, but it was still, you know, I'd be crushing up like a handful of pills into their applesauce and spoon feeding it to them. Yep. And uh, I remember that, God, that was 20 years ago now. And it was, it struck me as insane back then, how many drugs these guys were on and how You know, I guess there's, you know, there's something to be said for... This was a, you know, retirement home. Some of these guys... The oldest guy was 102. (laughs) And I get trying to keep people comfortable in their last days of life, but these guys, you know, there was no... I remember being disgusted by the fact that there was, like, no effort whatsoever to, like, keep them properly hydrated or, like, get them, uh, you know, make sure they got enough food. Like, if they weren't eating on their own, there was nobody really counting calories for them mm-hmm. so a lot of you know it seemed like a lot of folks would just die from de- you know like chronic dehydration and malnutrition as they kept spiraling downward
0: well i don't i don't think you're too far off that's something that gets me all the time you know we're required to record very strict ins and outs eyes and o's and yet we've got however many hands on deck Bringing these people random cups of whatever all day, soda, juice, water, throwing them away like there's no way to track this stuff. Uh um, Unless you have like an IV running and a Foley catheter to measure the output, there's zero way. So it's a it's a hot guess every time I finish my shift and type in my ins and outs. Who knows. Um, in terms
1: of like their blood sugar and stuff like that, or what?
0: No, it just in terms of how much they're actually eating or drinking.
1: Oh, gotcha. Who
0: knows? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. And um, that would
1: that would make sense to you know, if you're gonna record every other fucking thing in the computer. It would make sense to keep track of their diet and their you know whatever exercise you can get in the hospital.
0: Yeah, well, there's a space for it, but it just there's so many hands that don't communicate so many therapists and parts of the care team that maybe they're trying to communicate well, but in the end it it's not as nearly as accurate as it ever could be. So you're right. Like I when I get in with people and I notice that it's hard for them to eat or drink on their own, every time I'm in that room, you know, I have a cup of, say, five hundred mils of water and I hold it up to them and I help them take a few sips and try to get through, you know, one of those yeah. in 12 hours, which is nowhere near what we need. But you bring up a good point. You know, if these people aren't eating and drinking, I should see more fluids being hung. I should see, you know, they should have something going in. Yeah. And so many people sit there and by the third day, I realized that they might have only had 500 milliliters in three days.
1: And that's... You need, what, a gallon a day?
0: <laughs> you need at least, like, 2,000 mils, at least. Two liters yeah. a
1: day is, like, just maintaining. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, so, God, I remember, like, helping these folks pee, and their pee was, like, the color orange. is orange, yeah. Burnt orange. Burnt orange. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of that, I bet.
0: hmm And the, I will say, the other thing that gets my goat is the miss scaling of pain medication and then in accordance with how old the people are um i was just talking to some coworkers about this the other day because so there's a couple things going on here one you're in the hospital no one brings you any books or magazines of course we don't have like a stack of newspapers anymore because of covid and everyone's going to get infected so you have your tv yeah so you're in your room and i don't care if you're a 30 year old you know, human or a 90 year old human, you're going to get bored. And so if you know that you have pain meds ordered that are available to you every four, two, four, six, eight hours, the only thing for you to do, hey, why don't we take some pain meds and just forget about how bored we are? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not kidding. I have watched more like 70 and 80 year old men kick back on Percocet when I guarantee they might have never had Percocet ever in their life.
1: Yeah, so they're becoming...
0: They like Percocet after three days. They're becoming
1: junkies. Because they're bored. Because they're bored.
0: And what happens, and this is why I was talking about the doctors not kind of revisiting the care plans and the medications it ordered, is that, so say someone goes down and has a procedure done that warrants, you know, something as strong as fentanyl or Dilaudid. Okay, wonderful. So maybe for 24 hours after that, the fentanyl or dilated is, is in their medication, you know, record. They are allowed to have that. Yeah. It should be coming off. Right. I shouldn't be able to still be giving every do, Dilaudid, Dilaudid, every two hours a week after they had a spinal tap. Like, yeah. that should be done.
1: Should be done. But it stays
0: it stays and they know it's there. The and patients know. And so they learn how they do go, they know? Because they do. They just know. They just get to figure out. They're like, you know, the nurse, some nurse will say, Well, you know, can How you rate, are you
1: feeling? How
0: are you feeling? Can you rate your pain? Yeah. We look at the pain scale and we're like, oh, well, the is there for seven to ten. Well, now the patient starts to know, well, if I say seven, eight, nine, or ten. I get deluded.
1: That that's the good stuff. Oh, they're
0: fucking smart. They have nothing else to, else to do. They're just sitting there watching clocks and thinking about what we ask them. Yeah. And so, every two hours, I'm giving homeboy, who's 82 years old, delauded A week after maybe he had a you know needle stuck in his spine, and he's been up walking around with physical therapy, but today he's bored. So he's gonna get high on dilaudid all day.
1: What is is dilaudid like an opioid or what is it?
0: Dilaudid is an opioid, Uh and it will knock you out. Okay. Yeah.
1: Good to know.
0: Like you, dilaudid would be like a broken back in the back country. Uh huh. Like Like, not fixed yet.
1: Like what the search and rescue would shoot you up with
0: to get you out. To get you out. Not just hanging just like out in bed.
1: Completely numb out your body from the yeah. fact that you're
0: Delauded. Seriously yeah. fucked up. So this is the other thing, and I'm I was talking to my coworkers the other day because I I had a gentleman who was older, and he kept telling me, you know, his pain wasn't controlled. Pain wasn't controlled. He had just gone down and gotten almost half a half a liter, almost 500 milliliters of fluid drawn off his knee because of a bursitis and fluid gathering on his knee. Okay. He should have felt some relief. Yeah. Well, guess what? I had IV fentanyl there for him. What does he want? His pain is a 10. What do you think he wants? He's going to lay there and just get high in bed. Now, if the doctors revisit the medications, every shift, not just every day, but every shift, there's a morning and a nighttime rounding You know, rounding of the doctors. Yeah. Revisit that. Get people off the drugs.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: And medicate them appropriately. Otherwise, we're sending grandpa home with...
1: A a, a, painkiller addiction.
0: a a painkiller addiction. (laughs) So,
1: so So messed up.
0: It is so messed up. The amount of drugs I see given to these people... I know I have another doctor who's actually someone I like to talk to a lot. He's on nights with me. And he won't give anything stronger than a Percocet to anyone over 65. He's like, they shouldn't be getting that.
1: But he's the exception.
0: He's the exception.
1: That's that's probably why you guys get along, huh?
0: Everyone else just, yes, exactly. And everyone else just, the residents, the attendings, they just, they're like, hey, you know, we need something to fulfill the pain scale, 0 to 10. But they go from zero to 60 real fast. Yeah. And that bullshit, it's no wonder to me now why we have an opioid crisis. Absolutely not. Yeah. And I'm surprised we don't have more older people, although I've seen some older people come in so whacked out because they've been prescribed so many opioids that they are nearly at the point of needing to be intubated. They almost can't breathe on their own, and their bodies, like their, their intestines... Their gut, their bowels, everything has shut down because that's what opioids do. Yeah, and then we're treating that. We're treating small bowel obstructions. We're treating um, the fact that this person hasn't pooped in a month. Like,
1: oh my god!
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's now gotta, I see. That's why. gotta be fun. Now I see why.
1: Yeah, that's when you got to do some digital stimulation. Is that right?
0: Um. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've done that before. I've done plenty of that. I don't think I was supposed to, but they had me doing it. Yeah,
0: sometimes it breaks the dam.
1: Yeah. And then you just
0: sit there with a gown on, catching the rest of it.
1: Oh, my God. Strange days. I got a book for you. You ever heard of Drug Dealer MD?
0: I will definitely read that, and I'll read it at work, too.
1: It's a good one. It's written by a – I forget her name, but she's a – I think it's Lampke's her name. She's a – Associate professor at Stanford Medical School and she you know she it's it's funny she kind of passes the puck along to Big Pharma and like she blames you know she says oh we've be- we've unwillingly and unwittingly become you know drug dealers mm. but but it's big Pharma's fault
0: oh.
1: and it's like I don't think you can I don't Shit. think you can pass the puck you know
0: they have the, the, the doctors have a choice as to what they they write. What orders they put in.
1: Why do you think so many doctors are so quick to just uh, throw the Dilaudid and the fentanyl at people?
0: I think that they don't want to be called later when the nurse calls up and says, hey, I don't have anything for 7 to 10 pain, or oh, this person's pain isn't controlled. Pain is one of the things that we are, you know, it's like one of the most important things that we are there to control is people's pain, and... Since it's completely subjective, the doctors I think just want to cover their ass and make sure that we're not calling back later and saying, "Hey, so and so is still complaining of pain."
1: So then they gotta get on the computer and change yeah. something.
0: So instead, they're like, "Oh well, here's a chance to just obliterate them." Yeah, it happens too with anti-anxiety and antipsychotic meds all the time. And I've seen my coworkers that are willing to just go straight to that med go straight to that cocktail that you know that I am injection that will that will tank someone yeah. rather than using methods of hey how about you bring them a warm blanket how about you sit with them maybe their one on one is aggravating them maybe they there's something else going on
1: maybe they're lonely and depressed cuz they're Stuck in the hospital and haven't moved for a week.
0: But instead, because they're acting crazy and you're sick of them trying to get out of bed, you're going to just shoot them up with a B-52 and hope they just, like, crash for six hours.
1: So you don't have to deal with them anymore.
0: That's why I don't think... There's a lot of medications that I don't think should be available unless it's a very specific situation. What's a B-52? It's a... I'd have to look up exactly, but it's a... It's a mix of all the good stuff. It's like Ativan, Haloperidol. (laughs) The good stuff. It is. I mean, there's days that I wouldn't mind a B52, but it's just
1: like a knockout cocktail. Yeah.
0: yeah. And um.
1: And that'll put them out for the rest of your shift, and then you don't have to deal with them.
0: Exactly. Well, and is it
1: that the nurses are there? I mean, I think most people aren't. I guess you know, is it because they're overworked or they got they got too much? shit to deal with other like is there too many patients or why why are people so quick to just throw the b52 at them
0: i think a lot of i think they're i know that we are short-staffed and have too many patients um so if you can knock one out that gives you that much more freedom to get more work done um but i know that some other people just think that that's like the right way to take care of someone who they're they're unwilling to as they would see it, spend the time um, trying any other forms of alternative, you know, therapy. Yeah. And there's, it's sad, but I've, I've now seen, you know, I used to think I'd be walking into this environment where people would be like, oh, let me grab you a warm washcloth and let me, you know, here's a radio, let me find you a good station on, on the TV, and you can listen to some music. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who just are so overworked and have so much to do. That they would rather just medicate and sedate.
1: Yeah. Wild. And then at your facility, you, everybody, all the staff had to get the injections. Is that right? Yeah. Was there any like any dissent about that, or any grumbling, or anybody? There
0: was. They put off. They. It was last fall, and there they they first said everybody had to get it, and then they actually revoked that and then i want to say it was about a month later and they're like no everybody has to get it
1: september 2021
0: or even it was by like maybe december that everybody had to get it okay By the Hmm. end of it yeah like it was kind of weird they went back and forth on that for a little bit
1: and so if somebody if you have a patient come in that is doesn't have the jab Mm -hmm. what do they do with folks like that
0: I mean, we can't do anything about the patients. I've had plenty of patients that have come in without.
1: Yeah. They and, are um, they trying to like push it on them? Or...
0: No, no, we can't do any of that. No, because we we don't administer the vaccination at all. We will give you your flu vaccine and your pneumonia vaccine before discharge if you yeah. if you want it. But the COVID vaccine, we don't. And why, um,
1: why is that? Do you know?
0: I don't know. That just came up with someone who was asking if she could get her third jab with us. And I was like, we don't do that, but we do... The flu and pneumonia, which is strange.
1: That is strange. Because you think with how much that has been getting pushed on everybody, that they'd be giving it out at Uh, every opportunity. Exactly. Uh Uh-huh. Very interesting.
0: I know. I just, that came up literally just in the last couple weeks when I had a woman upon discharge asked if she could get her third jab. And I was like, we don't do that. And it's out of flu season, so I can't do that. I can only do pneumonia right now.
1: Huh. I didn't even know there's a pneumonia vaccine.
0: Mm-hmm. It's usually... I don't think it starts until... It's uh, somewhere in the 50s, 60s. Um, okay. Yeah.
1: Well, that's good to know. I got a few decades before I'm... Yeah. Man, I hope I don't end up in a hospital someday. Sounds like a nightmare.
0: I'm not exactly excited to have any of my loved ones end up in a hospital.
1: So you wrapped up nursing school what maybe two and a half three years ago
0: no just last fall just last fall, fall. of 21 and or be- spring of 21 i'm sorry and
1: before that you were doing educational stuff in the like you do like kind of like a residency type thing don't you or a lot of bedside
0: well so now i'm actually still in my nurse residency at this location okay but that means nothing <laughs>
1: <laughs> you here. You're,
0: you're just working? Yeah, I mean we had 6 weeks of training uh when I first started and then we had I had 5 weeks with a preceptor and then you're on your own, but they say that the residency program goes for the entire first year and we've done we have some online virtual classes about things like stress management and patient safety. Okay. That's it.
1: And you you mentioned that if you with your job you're at now, you're basically on. The, you're basically stuck in this location until you're done with your virtual online education, right?
0: Technically, can, for two years. Can yeah. you
1: explain that? Um, is that that's not gonna give away your identity? Is it? Is this a common thing?
0: It could be. I'm just gonna say, let's just say it's a. It was a bad choice.
1: What was going this this route?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I just, I guess I thought for this particular program, there was going to be a lot more hands-on learning. Like, even if it was like a classroom, acti- like class or lecture every, a couple times a month, like something about, you know, running codes or, you know, f- you know f- trauma or an experience, like maybe we'd skip around and kind of see you Know what other parts of the hospital were doing. Um, I just thought it was going to be experience that made me a much w- more well rounded nurse, yeah. And instead, I'm just a, another hot body, they need to fill the shifts.
1: Another hot body, so you're, mm. you're learning as you go, I take it, yeah. And a lot of the, a lot of the, well, how tightly, I mean, you guys, you're not allowed to really make lots of big decisions, right? You're kind of just there. Implementing what the doctors decide is that right?
0: We are. I mean, it's it does behoove us to use our our nursing um, critical thinking skills to decide because sometimes the doctors make mistakes. No. Yeah, you wouldn't believe it, but sometimes those orders are wrong, and so we are allowed to call the doctor at such point that we feel like something isn't right and yeah. say, "Hey, did you really intend this for this person?" Um, But we are there to carry out, you know, the care plan set forth by the doctor. And while they are interested in talking to us and seeing how the patient did, you know, the previous 12 hours, um, I can't say that I've really – it's really made a difference in the patient's ultimate care. Um, Meaning, like, I haven't seen – when I've talked to a doctor, say, when I've had some of these people, you know, for six days straight – And I go to the doctor. I'm like, yeah, I really don't know why they're here. They don't know why they're here. Um, Seems like they always kind of hang out for anywhere from three days to another week. And I recently learned this winter. And it made me see red. Apparently on NPR, um, Wyoming Public Radio, there was actually a little snippet going around about this healthcare system. And the fact that... They couldn't quite call it insurance fraud yet, but they were being found to admit people without, that shouldn't have been admitted to the hospital, that didn't need to be admitted. Yeah. But to to admitting people, even if it was just for 24 hours, because there was an extra kickback, like an extra you know amount that they got for every time they admitted someone. Okay. Now this is hearsay. You can't That's quote like me on this. Medicare,
1: Medicaid stuff.
0: I don't know if it's just that. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just, I'm just bringing it up that I, because f- there was a, a long time this winter, that months that went by, and my, my coworkers and I were, would always wonder, why is this person being admitted? Yeah. Literally, why? There is no reason for them to be on the floor. They and showed up
1: with like a mild fever or something or what. Mild
0: fever, um dizziness. Yeah. Um weakness. I mean, the diagnoses were were preposterous. Yeah. And when the patient came up and we admitted them, their presentation, their vitals, I mean, everything is completely stable. And and sure enough, they go home the next day in 24 hours and I just heard Someone I know well who listens to the radio every day, almost all day, <laughs> happened to say, hey, so I just heard that so-and-so hospitals were being investigated. And so, again, hearsay, but I just wonder how much it made me start to think, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of insurance um, and what companies and corporations get when they're collecting insurance, but it just made me wonder... You know, it's a how many people are admitted into a hospital even for quote-unquote observation only because the hospital gets a little extra.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's a for-profit system, right?
0: Oh, yeah. This is unfortunately a for-profit company.
1: Yeah. That's what's wild about it all. You know, my dad is, uh, he's the chairman of the board of the hospital in my hometown, so I got to hear his perspective on the whole COVID thing. And it was, uh, you know, for a little while there, it sounded like a lot of, not just speaking about his experience, but a lot of hospitals were, you know, not, uh, you know, they're for-profit business. They weren't making a profit when COVID hit and they had, you know, it sounded like they had to shut down a lot of, you know, their bread and butter elective procedures, right? Mm-hmm. like Surgeries and you know,
0: whatever. No, I mean, anything elective got shut down for a long time because they couldn't risk. I mean, they said that their their resources were all going towards, you know, COVID patients. And in some areas, I don't want to discredit the nurses and healthcare workers out there that were in, you know, the hotbeds. And whether it was... What are are hotbeds? Well, like a hotbed of infection.
1: Oh, okay, gotcha. Um,
0: Because for whatever sort of virus this is, it obviously took a toll on populations and put a lot of healthcare workers and populations, you know, in a in into very stressful times. Yeah. And that might have been just because of the sheer number of people, like the populations that they were that we're, you know, dealing with, but so I do not I, I know for a lot of people that the strain of the last two years was is is and was very real. Yeah. Um. For whatever they were dealing with, medically speaking. um, But, yeah, a lot of places had to shut down a lot of elect... Almost everything elective because they couldn't risk um, infecting other people that came in. Um, they didn't have the resources anymore. Um, they didn't have, like, supplies anymore.
1: But they were able to... If you played ball with the COVID thing, you were guaranteed a steady steam steady stream of revenue in the midst of it all right is that you know i've heard several folks or i've heard a lot of chatter for years now about like bonus medicare medicaid payments for covid diagnoses for putting people on ventilators is that have you had any first you don't deal with any billing or what no absolutely not.
0: i have no idea i've heard those same stories about You know, now that numbers were being skewed so that people would get federal money. I mean, I've heard the same thing, and I honestly, I can't, I have no idea.
1: Dr. Scott Jensen is the, he was the first guy. He's a Minnesota, he was MD. I think he was family practitioner of the year in Minnesota in 2019 or 2021 or the other. And he's a state senator, you know, so he's like a politician and a doctor and he was the first guy who really publicly just questioned the notion of well if we're like subsidizing covid diagnoses and we're subsidizing hospitalizations due to with covid as the stated reason and subsi- and you know he even went so far and i've read the documents too that they're subsidizing ventilator use mm-hmm. so there was like a financial incentive To to say someone was a COVID case, the financial incentive to hospitalize them for it, financial incentive to put them on a vent, and if they died, which is which you know, sounds like it's pretty common when someone gets intubated and put into a what they put them in like a, they knock them out right yeah so they're
0: medically induced coma
1: medically induced coma I was gonna say yeah so putting somebody in a medically induced coma and putting them on a vent. A lot of those people don't make it. And then there was a further incentive to list their cause of death as COVID. Yeah. So it was, you know.
0: Yeah. That's all still very fascinating to me too because the people, yeah, I just, I wonder what those incentives were or still are.
1: It's so wild that as a nurse, you don't, you know, it's funny how the whole billing process of healthcare operates, huh? Like you don't have any... You know, it's like imagine being a waitress who didn't know the cost of everything on the menu, right?
0: That <laughs> that's a really good analogy. <laughs> I would feel really strange um offering things to people, but
1: it's like, oh, this Tylenol is gonna cost you twenty bucks. Here's, that's so true. Here's three.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's not that's an amazing analogy. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, I just walk in there and I know that the service they're getting from me is one of the cheapest things the hospital is spending money on. Yeah. So.
1: Cause you're, are you, I mean, is the money good?
0: Um, I'm not one of the better paid. No, I'm not working at one of the better, better paid companies.
1: I was working with, I was doing a van build with a nurse not that long ago. And I was shocked to find out that, you know, Jackson hole mm-hmm. as a, she's been a nurse for a few years and she was making like under 30 bucks an hour. As a full-time nurse. Yep. And that, you know, you hear all these stories about nurses. Well, you're talking about getting into travel nursing, right?
0: I mean, we all would, I think there's a lot of us that would like to, at least to be able to pay off, you know, the school loans. Yeah. If anything, I'd just like to get my, you know, head above water and make sure that, you know, all of this wasn't for naught and I can pay off what I started, you know, this whole career for.
1: Yeah. Um, Why, Why did you get into nursing? Um. Because you want to be a health hero and save the world?
0: No, not at all. I'm <laughs> never going to save the world. Have you looked around you? <laughs> There's no way. I have no chance of doing that. Um, I think I've, made an influ- I've been an influence on one friend about eating more green food. So, no, um, it's a stable job. I'm good at my job. And I am good with people. And I'm organized. And I'm a smart person. It seemed like a good fit. I like science. I like math. Yeah. I like the human body. But...
1: You like poop.
0: No, I don't like poop.
1: Not anymore? No. Nope. I thought you were...
0: I used to like poop. Yeah. Yeah, when it didn't just come at me
1: all the time.
0: <laughs> I do like what poop tells. I do like to know if you've pooped and peed. It does tell me a lot. But no, I'm I'm not in it to be any sort of hero. I have, I have a girlfriend I went to nursing school with, and she's actually at the same hospital... And she's in the same program but on a different unit. And she loves being a nurse and loves toting kind of the, the you know, healthcare hero tag. And it, it makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like anything about it. And there's a lot of times I don't even tell people I'm a nurse. Um, it is a job for me.
1: So you're not, you're not, you don't identify with it too.
0: I don't. No. I don't. I do it because I can be really – I'm good at my job. I'm organized. I have a great attention to de- detail. Um, I don't want to see people, you know, die. Um, and so I will do my job well while I'm there. But yeah. I'm not going to pretend to be any sort of, you know, martyr or saint when I'm outside of work.
1: Yeah. That's what, man, the whole, during the early days of COVID, especially all the, they were just, you know, the health hero oh, meme was just everywhere, all over the world. And it was just like, it was a bit much.
0: It's a bit much. I mean, I I can't even look at social media that has any sort of nurse memes now in that capacity. It just kind of makes sense. They're still sick. out there. Oh, they're all over the place.
1: People, are people like wearing... Health hero masks and pins and stuff at your
0: some of them facility? are Some of them are, yep. That's fun. I mean, I think I'm a health hero every time I clean up a bed full of diarrhea. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the. There's <laughs> a lot of that, isn't there? But yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I remember. Yeah, you, know, you don't really realize how much piss and shit comes out of the human body until you you got. A bunch of humans that struggle with that on your hands.
0: the worst part is what's really sad, and this is why I do not see myself as a health hero, and I know that I'm never going to change the world, is that you get someone in the hospital for three days and they realize that there's people there to clean up their piss, clean up their shit. And even if they were perfectly independent at home, you've got someone who pisses and shits the bed now. And they don't give a shit. Really? Yeah. So that's why I know if I can't even convince these people to get up and use a bedside commode or a bedpan instead of laying in their own feces, I have a very, very small chance of changing the world in terms of healthcare. care. So, no, I'm going to collect my paycheck. I'm going to do my job well. I'm going to advocate for my patients and keep them safe when I'm at work. And other than that, um, I'm going to tell as many people as I can of- how messed
1: up it is! <laughs> How messed up the healthcare system is. <laughs> well, that's good. That's something I've been doing for a long time because it's insane. I mean, do you know, like uh, what is the statistic in the uh, the second most healthcare spending per you know per capita? So the average across all the people. Yeah. In Sweden, they spend an average of about six thousand dollars. Per, per, per capita on healthcare annually. Do you know what it is in the US? We're number one for spending.
0: Oh, like, is it 106,000?
1: No, good guess. <laughs> well, like, per capita. So that includes, you know, 20 year old kids that, that never go to the doctor, too. Okay. But it's like, sixty before COVID, it was above 10,000. Yeah. So not quite twice as much as Sweden, but I'd be curious to know what it is now. Probably quite a bit higher. It's
0: probably quite a bit higher.
1: Yeah. Did you see any uptick in strange illnesses after the after the jab became a lot more common? No. No, nothing like that? No. Well that's good. See, it's hard to you know, it's hard to that's what's crazy with so much uncertainty about it. You know, you you talk to some people and they think it's the best thing ever, and you talk to other people and they think it's a bioweapon designed to depopulate the planet and it's like
0: I have not seen not, and my floor would be the ones to get people like that. And yeah. honestly, we're still sticking around with you know other respiratory disorders. We're sticking around with, you know, if anything, I mean we can still go back to the damage that and like high dose antibiotics cause more than what I've seen anybody come in with you know as a result of being vaccinated. Yeah. Um,
1: and high dose antibiotics. That just yeah. And that's pretty common?
0: Oh, yeah. They give high-dose antibiotics. I mean, if you've got pneumonia, if you've got sepsis, if you have um, any chance of having an infection, if you have to come in and have a Foley catheter for a while, like to reduce the chance of the hospital getting sued for a hospital-acquired um, effect, infection related to the Foley. So it's called a caudi catheter-acquired urinary tract infection. Uh-huh um they will dose people with high doses of antibiotics cowdy cowdy Caudi. Caudi, just for having um a foley for more than a few days just to make sure
1: and that's um, what cap, that's just a piss bag right yeah yeah
0: but because that's one of the biggest things that um that jaco the governing body of of healthcare um, looks at and you know how many Caudis do you, does your hospital have in order to reduce the chance of having an infection, the doctors will just throw on some vancomycin. And there, again, you're high dosing someone with antibiotics, Uh uh-huh. so broad you get spectrum a, antibiotics. So if you are, get a
1: catheter, if you're just basically, if you're stuck in bed mm-hmm. and they put a P tube up your urethra, yeah. then you're going to get. Antibiotics, too.
0: You very well could. I've seen it happen. Yeah. It's not completely common, but I have seen people that I have no other de- idea why they have antibiotics. There's no other infection going on. Their white blood cells are good. Their other blood counts are good. And yet I'm giving them some sort of antibiotic. Yeah. I'm like, hmm.
1: So we don't need to, aside from like the weird push to inject the whole planet. There's plenty of other bad shit that was already happening. Oh yeah, with the, between the opioids and the and the uh,
0: antibiotics,
1: polypharm, and... mm-hmm. polypharm,
0: polypharmacy,
1: polypharmacy, mm-hmm. just dosing people up. Mm-hmm. Do they still feed people sugar-free Jello in hospital? Oh yeah. Why yeah. is that? What is the deal with sugar-free Jello? <laughs>
0: Well, so that's a funny one. And here we go back to recording, you know, what people are eating and drinking and how accurate that all gets. So a lot of people are diabetic who come in. You don't say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So because we can't risk them potentially getting something that doesn't fit with their diet and because the addition of a sugary... Food could cause them the most problems. We go with sugar free jello, yogurts, popsicles, and everything like that. But if they want a Sprite or a Coke, gosh darn it, they're gonna get a Sprite or a Coke,
1: huh? So, to get your sugar fix in the hospital, you got to get some soda up in you,
0: yeah. I mean, because apparently, even as a diabetic, you can just ask for a Coke and someone brings you it with no, no attention paid to the fact that they are diabetic really yeah
1: no way yep
0: yeah. juice
1: it's your you don't have a right to you know you don't have a right to a lot of things in hospital but you can get a fucking coke anytime you want you
0: can get a coke anytime you want oh
1: that's, that's beautiful yeah god bless it <laughs>
0: That's the craziest thing is I've actually gone in and I've had patients that are, you know, diabetic and I check their insulin before every meal and before bed or blood sugar. And I'm chasing, like, numbers in the three and four hundreds. And I'm like, why? It's I just mean.
1: Coke cans scattered around on the floor. <laughs> and
0: juice. <laughs> and I find out AIDS have been bringing them a double apple juice on ice all day. Oh, God. So. so that's just where I think the breakdown of communication, which is weird because our aides and our nurses all communicate between our patients. We know who's diabetic, but somehow the fact that they're diabetic and the fact that that has sugar in it doesn't always click. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I'm chasing someone, I'm giving them 14, 16, 22 units of insulin to chase a blood sugar that was otherwise controlled until they started sneaking juices in or Cokes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it, sugar is a drug, you know. It's a, it's addicting as hell. I mean, or then
0: their family turns around and brings them donuts. Yeah. Or cookies, or, or Arby's, or. Ooh.
1: Yeah, whatever.
0: <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah, at there's least just, their
1: family's coming in. To there's see no them.
0: control over it, so let's just stop pretending we're going to change the world and the state of you know people's, of people's healthcare, or people's health in general.
1: I take it there isn't a big push on you don't have nutritionists regularly making the rounds so.
0: well so we have dietitians oh, right. okay and so people's diets are specific to their diagnoses okay so their diets are one thing what comes up on trays is one thing but what they can get otherwise is a free-for-all really mm-hmm. interesting you may have a carb-controlled lunch tray
1: yeah that
0: is you know diabetic specific um, cardiac specific renal specific but if your homegirl brings you in a Wendy's milkshake, we've got no control over that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and they can ask for a, can you get a root beer float? Can you get the nurse to make you a root beer float?
0: Uh, we don't do root beer for some strange reason, hmm. um, but we can make you like a Coke float. We do have ice cream.
1: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Man, I was hoping to get you all fired up here. You were so fired up earlier. I, I appreciate well, you being so professional for the podcast.
0: I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I've am I'm, been pretty fired up about some things. Yeah? I've got to check back and make sure that I wasn't too fired up and gave the wrong information. I mean, this
1: morning, you were fired up. Oh,
0: that's, I get fired up when I think about this job.
1: Yeah. It well, was really
0: nice, you know, I, I just, I had my own little side hustles that kept the bills paid for, what, the last 12 years? Yeah. Sometimes I miss a side hustle.
1: Really? Yeah. If you could do it all over again, what would you do? Would you still go the nursing route?
0: I would go and be a vet tech.
1: Like a veterinarian? Well. Like a, a vet tech?
0: Like a vet. I mean, I, if I, yeah, if I could really do it all over again, I'd go back and be a veterinarian. But um, a vet tech is kind of like a human nurse. And they get paid beans. I'd probably still have to side hustle. Yeah. But I'd be taking care of puppies.
1: Well, it's not too late to do that. You need it's not. a special, you need special certifications to do that, or what? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Back to school, dude. Back to school. Here we school. go. Because
1: <laughs> what nursing school was what three years? Yeah. And and technically, you're still in it because you're still kind of on the. Mm-hmm. You're still kind of school's bitch at the moment, right? Uh-huh. You're you're stuck in this location. Yeah, I'm still
0: learning. You're mm-hmm. still
1: learning, and.
0: I've gotta pay this round of schooling off first, so I've gotta be, you know, I've gotta make it.
1: How much is nursing school these days? Stupidly expensive?
0: I'm I'm in it for enough. Yeah. Enough that I'm not gonna pull it out of a few paychecks.
1: Uh huh. Well, that's all we gotta say about that. <laughs> Fuck.
0: Let's just say I can't go back to to vet school yet. No. No. Well. Gotta work a few more shifts. I think you should taking care of poop
1: follow your heart there she her i almost said your name right there
0: Ooh.
1: (laughs) but i'm not gonna because we're what we're an hour and one minute into this what else do you want to talk about there she her
0: um i think we should come back and talk about another I, i think i need to go back to work and pick up some new new information for you okay we should do this again what's
1: your overall just real quick what's your overall perspective of doctors in general
0: Half and half.
1: Half and half.
0: Some of them are actually very helpful yeah. and, and very interested in what the us as nurses have to say. And some of them don't give a shit. Interesting. Yeah.
1: What My, my dad said a lo- one of the hardest parts about hospital administrators is dealing with doctors who've got a lot of self-love.
0: Oh, yeah, there's definitely self-love going on there, but some of them are just willing to put it aside for the few minutes that you have questions and maybe even take what you have to say and use that. Uh Other ones, you know, I've sat around for an hour and a half after my shift is done trying to talk to someone about the number of opioids that were prescribed, and sure as shit, I came back the next day, and they're still all there.
1: Yeah. So I'm glad, you know, I really appreciate our talk today because I had no idea, you know, I knew I've obviously heard quite a bit about the opioid situation and the painkiller situation, but I had no idea that it was, it sounds like it's very prolific.
0: It's, it is bad. It's bad. I am, I have no question now, um, as to how this spiraled out of control. And this is just, these are the people that are actually still, under the watch of, of medical professionals, they're in the hospital, they're able to be monitored. Never mind the people that are just given a prescription. Yeah. You know, are they following the rules about taking something every four or six hours? Fuck no. Guaranteed not.
1: Yeah. Well just uh you know, I know we've got to wrap it up here, but if you could guesstimate what percentage of the patients are on a opioid painkiller where you're at?
0: Oh god. Guaranteed, not like I think I've seen probably less than I can count on one hand over my entire last six months of this place that they don't have opio- opioids in their electronic medical record.
1: So they're not on, they may not be on them at the moment, but they've been on them in the past. They're been around... on
0: them in the past or have them scheduled. Yeah. And so, ready to give,
1: like over, well over ninety percent. Definitely, because you say you could count on one hand.
0: Yeah, I think I've seen one, like a a few older, older people who might only have Tylenol available, yeah. because that's what they've never taken anything stronger.
1: So anybody who basically anybody that says they have a seven through ten on their pain scale at any point in time,
0: they avoid probably have opioids, they're probably opioids. ready
1: to there's probably a protocol where they can get some mm-hmm. get some smack when and they've they want. Pr- and
0: they've probably had it within the last 48 hours Wow some people are are okay and try really do try to go a whole 12 hours but it's rare that they go 24 without getting at least a dose
1: because it's that good shit mm hmm have you tried the opioids at work?
0: No, no, I have not. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, that's very good.
1: And <laughs> you know, I've never done opioids either. I think no, I don't think I.
0: I have no desire to Percocet go down. Is Percocet an opioid? Percocet is it's a hydrocodone.
1: I think yeah, we got to look into that. Yeah, somewhere. I got to classify all I, my. There's a lot to keep straight. There's so many damn drugs out there. I think I had opio. I think I had Percocet. I don't know. I don't even know if that's an opioid. It's hard to keep it all straight, but when I had my ankle surgery a long time ago, but never really got into those. Seems like a it's a it's a bad road to go down.
0: It is, and it's not always. Uh, it's actually, I mean, just because you hear the big dogs, you know, on your chart and available, doesn't mean they're actually gonna kill the or affect the pain. Yeah. Um, because those and things like NSAIDs all affect the pain stimulators and and sensations at different points okay. and so a lot of times you're a good old advil is going to do a lot more than something like that
1: but the opioid will give you that it'll the make you, it'll get you high it'll get you high it might not it might not deal with your pain but it'll get you high it'll get you high and then you're gonna be making great decisions mm-hmm. yeah god bless america <laughs> <laughs> well i think you're gonna drag me out for a five mile run right now
0: yep we're going for a run
1: oh my god all
0: right signing off next time
1: she her thank you so much (laughs) for joining us here today next time i want you to come back with with some more dirt for me i will you're our she her on the inside
0: she her on the inside
1: and next time i'm going to take you straight from the as soon as you show up, we're getting you in the studio because... That's
0: fine. I get pretty You're so professional
1: out. on the... Maybe I'll just have a hidden mic and you won't know that you're <laughs> being recorded. So we can get the raw, unadulterated she Hey, I'll,
0: let me call you after a shift and you just put it on record.
1: Oh, perfect. That sounds lovely. <laughs> Although, then I'd be missing out on your smiling face. Thank you so much for being here. Let's go for a run. Y'all have a great day. Thanks okay. for tuning in. Bye. Yeah, thank you so much. God bless y'all. Love all y'all. Stay woke. One love. And of course, peace.